Good morning once again and welcome. My name's Craig and I am the senior pastor here and it is our privilege to have you with us as we've gathered to worship today. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. You can uh, work along with us in the guide that was in your bullets and I do want to apologize. The, the title is wrong. I did not get that straight. But the title for today's sermon is The Next Step. Acts chapter 11, we've been in the book of Acts now for many, many weeks and months, and today I'm actually very excited because Acts 11 gives us an opportunity to consider what the future might look like right here at Malvern Hill. So if you have your Bible, stand with me if you're able, in honor of God's Word. If you want to read from your phone, that's fine. Here now, for this is the word of the Lord. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. Up in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. And we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angels stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you. I praise you that your word never, ever returns void. I thank you, Father God, that you work in your word. We work through the Spirit. Father God, that you're working even among us. Pray that your Spirit would come today as we consider this word in Jesus' name. Amen. As many of you are aware, I try my best to plan the sermons out many months in advance. And so I had planned in December or January of maybe, I think it was January, this past January, to preach Acts chapter 11 today. But as I sat down this week to work through Acts 11, I was troubled because the sermon that I had outlined many months ago was essentially a repeat of what I preached in here just a couple of weeks ago out of Acts chapter 10. And it's not surprising that it is because that's what most of Acts 11 is. It's a, a retelling of, or it's Peter's retelling of what God did in Cornelius' house. 
And as I wrestled with that, and I wrestled with where I felt like we were being led with some help from our staff that pushed back on me a little bit on a better way to approach this, I realized that perhaps the Lord was at work in a way that I didn't anticipate many months ago. And at work to remind us through Acts chapter 11 that there's always a next step. There's always a next thing to remind us that when the Lord does something, especially when the Lord does something amazing or unexpected or honestly just sort of crazy, that we've got to step back and ask what is next. It's football season and any football game The most important play is always the next play. Now, the possibility exists that after the game is over, we might be able to look back and say, well, that one was the most important. But in the middle of the game, the most important play is the next play. That mindset urges us to have a short memory. A short memory about the bad things that happened, right? When something went wrong, we forget that, we put it in the past, and we move forward. But it's also important for us to have kind of a short memory as it relates to the good things that happen. We can't rest on our laurels. We can't rest on our successes. We can't live in the regret of past mistakes, but we also can't live too long under the shadow of past blessings. God's done great things right here at Malvern Hill. As a matter of fact, I mean, this year we're, we're, we're past 90 years in existence as a church. And in over 90 years of existence, God has done some absolutely incredible things. Many of you were saved right here in this church. Many of you were were married in this church. You were discipled. Your children or your grandchildren even have been baptized right here. They've been changed. They've been transformed. But the most important days are ahead of us. Not because the past doesn't matter, but because the most important thing for us to do is to continue to move forward. The most important people to be reached are the people that we have not yet reached. The most important people to hear the gospel are those who have not yet heard the gospel. And so this morning, I want us to wrestle with that question of what's next? What is our next step? Now listen, for some of you, this is going to be a very personal sermon. Because some of you need to be asking the question, what is your next step individually? What is the next step that you need to be taking toward Christ? Or the next step that you need to be taking in your commitment to Malvern Hill? Some of you need to be thinking about the next step you should take as a member of Malvern Hill. But we've got to figure out what the next step is. And so right here in Acts chapter 11, we see a wonderful picture of the early church having to wrestle with their next step. What happens when we're looking for the next step? What is our next step? What steps should we take? The first thing we need to do is celebrate God's work. We need to celebrate God's work. Let me just share a couple of great things. Now, now, before we get there, let's think about Peter. All right? Think about Peter. Peter shows up at Jerusalem. Now, we look at this and we go, well, this is a big deal. All the meeting of all the apostles. Well, we see that in the rearview mirror. But when Peter showed up, Peter was just showing up. To his home church. You understand? Peter was going home to his home church to see his friends. And when Peter got there, Peter had been on a great mission trip. Peter had seen God do something unbelievable. And I'm sure that 
Peter hoped and maybe even expected that when he got there, he was going to be able to say, y'all look at so much. But instead, Peter encountered opposition. Folks, listen to me. We should expect God's blessing to bring challenges and change. We should expect God's blessing to bring challenges and change. Because when God does something, he does something in a big way. Do you understand? It was not normal for Jews to eat with Gentiles. And yet, here Peter was. Remember, we looked at this last week. He didn't just eat with them. He had a slumber party. He spent the night. He stayed for many days. And when he shows up, somebody says, Whoa, Peter, where have you been? Who do you think you are? Is it true what we've heard? Y'all, the story made it back before Peter got there. Y'all ever been one of those people whose reputation preceded you? I hope not, but you might have known somebody, right? Every once in a while I introduce myself and they'll say, Oh, I've heard of you. And I go, Oh, no. Oh, no. And then it's usually something benign. Like, yeah, one of your church members works with me. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness. And then I go, wait a minute, which church member and what did they say? Some of y'all aren't as nice as some of the others. Folks, we should expect Peter showed up and his reputation. So what God had done got there first. But do you notice that what was emphasized was not God's work, but instead that Peter had eaten with the Gentiles. Have you ever seen God do something amazing, but somebody twists and contorts it in such a way that it sort of takes the wind out of your sails? Because nobody's talking about the fact that all these people came to Jesus. What they're emphasizing is the fact that Peter ate with the Gentiles. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. God's blessing can bring challenges and change. And the challenges come because God's blessings bring change. God's blessing can sometimes, look, it can be uncomfortable. It can even be intimidating. Imagine these folks. These are Peter's people. And he comes back and they say, who are you now? Peter was motivated because of what God had done something, had done something because of what God had done, but he got home and they rained on his parade. Folks, I want you to know as we consider what's next for our church, God's blessings here bring challenges and necessary change. Why? Because he's doing great things. Some of y'all need to smile because I'm going to tell you some of the great things, okay? And if you can't smile about this, I'm going to be honest. You've got to find somewhere else to be because this ain't going to work out long term. Thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. But listen to some of these things. Our worship attendance over the past five weeks. Now, it's, it's, it, we, we missed a week in there. Some kind of weird. So if some of you have your own count and it's off, just trust me. We're doing the best we can. Our worship attendance over the past five weeks is 26% higher than our previous 12-month average. So if you start in September and you go to the end of August, our average worship attendance is 314. If you look at the past five Sundays, our average worship attendance is 397. All right? Y'all, that's, that's crazy. Our life group attendance, same thing, past five weeks versus the past 12 months is up 16%, 15%. So from 234 over the past 12 months to 270 in the past five weeks. We had 23 baptisms last year. 
We added 55 new members in the last 12 months. And listen, it's 55 because there's about 30 of y'all that won't hurry up and join. <laughs> I'm just being honest, you know? And there's a couple sitting out there right now that's going, we haven't joined because you didn't return our email. And I am so sorry. I'm going to fix that this afternoon. It's true. Like, that's 100% true. It's confession. Our giving this year is up 26%. Our undesignated giving is up 26% year over year. So from this time last year to where we were this time this year. Yeah, you get the picture. Our giving is 26% ahead. That's great. These are wonderful things. Folks, but let me tell you what 397 does in our worship service. It does this. Ugh. Right? Some of y'all are feeling, we're, we're probably about 385 in here. This is what, what I'm assuming. What do you think, Adam? Right where we are? He and I were, were betting earlier about exactly where we come down. Uh, I keep losing. We're probably about 385 today. Uh, there actually might be more, y'all, because we added chairs, and there were so many little bodies that went running out. I don't know if y'all saw that. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're, we're right in the middle of that average. We got a family that's out preaching today. So, I mean, we're right in the middle. We're somewhere between 385 and 390 today, more likely than not. Y'all, this is where we are, and this is how it feels. Some of you, now, we celebrate. It's fun, right? It's wonderful until somebody sits in your seat. You know what I mean? <laughs> These are the kind of challenges that we're talking about here. There's a lot of great things, but with it, we see this changing face of the church. This is when I talk about that, that progress or that that blessings from the Lord bring challenges and change. Just understand the change is what creates the challenge. Do you know everybody likes change? Y'all are laughing, but they do. And I'm going to tell you why. Y'all go, nobody likes change. That's not true. Everybody likes change as long as it's somebody else changing. You understand? When I stand up here and I say that we have to change, 95% of y'all are perfectly fine with that. And I'm going to tell you why. Because 95% of y'all assume that it's them who need to change because you've got it all figured out already. I know the feeling. You know what I'm saying? Like I completely represent that remark. We need to celebrate God's work. But as we celebrate it, let's understand that God's work brings challenges. What are some of the challenges? A third of our congregation is under the age of 18. Okay? That's wonderful. Wonderful. Matter of fact, I, I, we're, we're on the cover of the Baptist State paper this month. I haven't even seen the article yet, but we're on the cover of the Baptist State paper because a third of our congregation is under the age of 18. What a wonderful blessing, right? You know what else that means? We are broke as a joke. Because every 16-year-old that joins our church drives our per capita giving down instead of up. Do you know what 14 and 15-year-olds do? You know what 5 and 6-year-olds do? They suck money away from us. They're just little financial leeches that attach themselves to the church. All they do is take, take, and never give. But they do give some things, right? They give vitality to the church. They give joy. They're, they're part of our purpose and our mission. But just understand that it brings challenges. Do y'all remember, how many of y'all were here among us as a part of our church when we moved into this building? Raise your hand. Holy cow. How many of y'all weren't here when we moved in this building? Raise your hand. Holy cow. Okay, well this is going to be news for about half of y'all. <laughs> when we moved into this building, 
one of the things we did is we painted everything, okay? And we put all kind of little pretty knickknacks and all the things. We tried to avoid lace doilies, but everything else was, was there. But do you know one of the things that we talked about when we moved into this building was that if we were going to be reaching children, we had to be comfortable with dirty walls. Y'all remember that? Because kids are nasty. They're nasty. They put their hands on everything. They put them in their mouth, and then they just rub stuff. I was working with a little guy at, uh, at an elementary school a while back, and he, he was picking his nose. I said, man, you can't do that. That's nasty. He said, I only do it to get the bad stuff out. <laughs> Listen, that's, that's, that's children. I'm going somewhere with this. Work with me. Okay? Paul shows up, and he says, look at what happened. And these people are going, the walls are dirty, Paul. Peter, sorry, the walls are dirty. And Peter said, no, no, you didn't hear me. These people got saved. Y'all, growth and change and God's blessing brings challenges. And we got to be okay with that. Folks, I need to tell you something. We are a church of 400. Most of y'all didn't look in the mirror this morning and you think about coming here and think you're going to a large church. When we became a church of 400, we became a really large church. We're not a mega church. We're a big church. We may be the biggest in the county. We're somewhere in that range. It's a big place. And y'all, if we continue in the direction that we're headed, this time next year, we're a church of 500. You say, where do you get those numbers? 26% times 400 puts you at 500 in 12 months. I appreciate that because there's a lot of folks. And I'm not trying to be funny. Some of you just went, what are we doing? Celebrate God's work, but understand that as we celebrate it, it's going to be hard. Folks, I want to encourage you. I want us to all be Peter. But I want you to understand that we're going to walk in the door and there's going to be somebody that's pouring buckets of water on our parade. Let me urge you, don't be that person, first of all. Second of all, let me warn you. The changes that God brings can be scary, right? It, like We need to be honest about this. We need to be realistic about it. Some of y'all have been here long enough to remember when we were a church of 140. Y'all been here long enough to remember what it was like to know everybody and to have a birthday party and invite the whole church. And now you can't afford to invite the whole church. And, and, and it can be terrifying, right? Because you liked it here. I talked with a pastor friend of mine who pastors a rural church. And um, I, I was asking him how their, their worship... Um, their worship style on Sunday morning, their order of worship went. And one of the things that they do in their, in their rural church is that they have, they have time where people offer prayer requests from the floor during a Sunday morning service. And, and, and y'all, for some of y'all, that, maybe that's really appealing. Listen, that can't ever happen here because we would never get out of service. You understand? It's not because those things don't matter, but just, just know that if a church was to move from 60 to 160, they'd have to stop that. There are things that are going to be different, and that can be scary. You say, I want somebody to pray for me on Sunday morning. When we moved to our life group model some years back, I remember a conversation I had with somebody in our church. In our life group model, one of the most important things that happens for us is that ministry happens within our life groups. So if there's a, somebody in your life group who's got a problem, they've got a struggle, they're going through the expectations that the life group is the first line of defense there. They're the ones that are coming around and supporting that. And that's somebody that called and said, I heard so-and-so had a surgery. I said, that, that's true. 
She said, well, well I wanted, I, 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 didn't, I didn't get to, I didn't know about it. I said, I'm sorry that happened. Well, I, I would have prepared a meal for them. Well, I'm sorry, but their life group cared for them. They're good. And this person said, but I wanted to do it. And listen, this is somebody, like, not mad or mean. This is somebody who loves Jesus and loves the church and loves people. And was used to an environment where if there was a problem, we all came together and we all did it. And I asked this question. I said, what matters the most? That this person was ministered to or that you got to do the ministry? See, that's a change that takes place when the culture shifts, when things grow. We get to a place where we have to wonder, what is our primary objective and focus? Is it that I'm comfortable, or is it the mission of God continues to go forward? Peter showed up and made a whole lot of people uncomfortable because he had a slumber party with some Gentiles. we got to celebrate God's work. The second thing that as a church moves forward and experiences God's blessing is we have to refine the mission. Y'all, I'm really excited about preaching this sermon, but there's like 10% nervousness in me because for some of you, this is going to be a challenging message. But we have to refine the mission. A growing ministry requires a more focused mission. A growing ministry requires a more focused mission. See, this is, this is something that folks don't always understand or appreciate. We, we think about a ministry having all these sort of shotgun, this shotgun approach, all these tentacles that make it out into the world around them. Actually, the larger that any organization be, gets, the less it can do this and the more it has to do this. The less of a shotgun approach it can have and the more of a rifle approach it has to have. There's got to be a laser focus to where the, the organization, the church in this particular situation is headed. Folks, we've got to get laser focused on what we're about. I love being sort of an organic organization where we just sort of move on in our business and handle our stuff. But we've got to continue to be focused. When Peter walks in the door and he says, this happened, all of a sudden there was a necessity that the disciples, the apostles, others who were there begin to get really focused about what they were because they had been just sort of a wonderful organization where they were doing a lot of good and impacting a lot of people. Well, all of a sudden, when they became aware that the gospel was moving among the Gentiles, they realized that that whole Acts 1-8 thing meant that they couldn't just kind of continue to be this. They had to be laser-focused on where they were headed. God sent us beyond this place. We reached Jerusalem. We're spreading out into Judea. We've got to get to the uttermost parts of the world. Folks, Malvern Hill exists to love God, love others, and change the world. That's what we exist to do. And as we look at God's blessing in our church, we actually have to drill down in this even more than we ever have. Because if we're not careful, we can get this mission drift. And we become sort of all things to all people. But in a bad kind of way, not the gospel-centered kind of way, you understand? Well, what is the purpose? What are we The time's come for us to stop dancing around the reality of the future. God's blessed us to be a blessing. And he continues to bring more people into our church to hear the life-saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what was happening in the Jerusalem church. Do y'all appreciate how wild this moment is that you're getting to experience? How exciting this moment is? 
that I'm standing in front of you and comparing what God's doing in our church right now to what was happening in the first century, our minds should be blown with this. Let's be very clear. We have to reach others and to reach others, we've got to be willing to change and grow. You say, well, Craig, why would you say that? You just told us that we grew 26% in the last year. What do we possibly need to change? Do you remember when I said you're sitting like this? Right? Look around. Like, don't look around now. Remember what it looked like 15 minutes ago before all the kids left. Listen to me. We have to reach the community around us, which means we've got to make space for another 200 people. Like, we just have to be honest about who we are and what we have the opportunity to do. We have the opportunity to just sit back and go, look at what God did one year at Malvern Hill. Or to say, look at how God has propelled us forward to take the next step within our church body. If we exist to love God, love others, and change the world, listen to me. We're not loving others unless we're doing all that we can to bring them into the kingdom of God. We're not loving others unless we're doing all we can to make room for their rear ends to make it into this building. You say, Craig, we've already commissioned a refocus team. I know. And folks, I'm going to tell you, we got to hurry up. There's going to be some things that we got to do more quickly. Because we have to stop thinking like a church of 400 and start thinking and acting like a church of 600. This is exactly what happened in the book of Acts, right? Peter just tells his story. Do you know that when Peter told his story, the attitude shifted? Now, there's a question in your study guide for next week, and I I, I couldn't figure out how to word it properly, so it still doesn't say everything I want, but it kind of gets at this. In Acts chapter 11, verse 3, you got people that are like, who do you think you are, Peter, eating with the Gentiles? But by the time we get to verse 18, they're giving glory to God and saying, look at what he's done. Do you know what we don't know from the book of Acts? We don't know if those were the same people. See, there's a possibility that some of them were the same people. There's a possibility that some people were still put off with Peter. They were still put off with what was happening. There were others who said, yes, we got to move forward. Folks, what does it mean for us to start thinking and acting like a church of 600? We've got to preach like we're a church of 600. Okay? We've got to do that. We, we've, got to, we've got to organize like it. We've got to communicate like it. We have to plan to create life groups for a church of 600. That's a lot more life group leaders. That's a lot of discipleship within our church body. That's a lot of y'all need to look in the mirror and say, Lord God, are you calling me? To be the next one. And if you believe it might be, that's some of y'all that need to be knocking Kevin's door down and going, I'm interested in being a part of a new life group. We have to have a plan for these life groups. Folks, do you know that we have to give like a church of 600? This is one of the hard parts. But now I believe that because God has given us this mission, he's also given us the people to fund the mission. But we have to give like we're a church of 600. Just think about what God's done for us. We make a big deal about the young people, as I mentioned. But again, as every 15 or 16-year-old that gets saved here, our per capita giving goes down. We make a big deal about the young people, but God's also been gracious 
that as he brings all these young people in, that he's brought in some gray-haired people as well. And you know what some of you with gray hair bring? You bring experience, you bring wisdom, but many of you also bring the ability to contribute more financially than those who don't have gray hair. You've got an opportunity laid out ahead of you. You've got giving potential. And folks, listen, some of you, God has brought you here to help fund the mission that he has for the church. That's why, I mean, I'm just being honest. Some of you are here, and that's not the only purpose, but God brought you here because this church needs you. Let me just give you an idea. God's been gracious to continue to see our, 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 um, our budget grow. And it's unbelievable. But do you know that for most churches our size, our budget is about 50% of what most churches our size are. Okay? We've got to continue to give to the mission, not to pad some pastor's ego, but because there are hundreds of people outside our front door that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we've got to be able to do everything we can to make room for those folks. We've spent a long time, we, I own some of this, as a church, reacting. And here's why we react, because we honestly continue to sit sort of slack-jawed at what God's doing in our body. This is what was happening in the book of Acts. Y'all, let me show you what Peter were, or people were doing as Peter was recounting what happened at Cornelius' house. They were sitting like this. I mean, imagine, he goes, yeah, I went to Cornelius' house. Like, yeah, we knew that. Well, let me tell you about the vision that I had first. And they go, oh, we hadn't heard about that. Tell us more. Well, not only was there a vision that the Lord gave me, but when it was over, somebody knocked on my door. And they thought, well, that's kind of ironic. And then he said, and it was somebody from Cornelius' house asking for me by name to come to his house and present the gospel. And they go, well, now, we hadn't heard of that one before. Well, well then what happened, Peter? Well, then I went. Okay, well, at least we know why you went and ate with them, but what actually happened when you got there? And Peter's like, well, then I began to preach. And watch what he says right here. Uh-oh, my Bible turned, the air conditioning turned my page here. Um, he says, um, there they were. I, I told us how they'd seen it. Go to Joppa, um, verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell. When? As I began to speak, Peter says, I just barely started getting the words out of my mouth and God started moving. And everybody went, huh. Imagine being so unbelievably convinced that your way was the right way only to have your way completely upended by God doing something you did not anticipate or expect. Imagine that. That's exactly what happened in this moment. No, we know that what we were doing is right. And Peter says, I thought I was right too. Remember, I'm the leader. Y'all, don't miss this. This is Peter. I told you Peter went home. What I forgot to tell you is that Peter went home to the church that he was pastoring. Y'all, this is like me showing up on Sunday morning and go, hey guys, by the way, uh, about two-thirds of what I thought was a little bit wrong, and it turns out that God's a lot bigger than I expected. And I just need to share with y'all a story that I never believed possible. That's what happened. He's the leader. Folks, leaders show humility. Peter stood up and said, I was wrong, and I'm willing to admit that because God has revealed it to me. And he says, and when I started talking, 
Just a few words fell out and the Holy Spirit fell. Why? Because the Spirit blows where it will and we don't control it. Peter didn't conjure up the Holy Spirit. And then he says what? We looked at this the last couple of weeks. He says, go back and read what he says. As the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on, as on us at the beginning. Peter says, look, the same Pentecost that we experience is the Pentecost that the Gentiles experience. I know that God's at work among them. Folks, we've been reacting for a long time because God's done things that we just didn't expect. Past couple years has been a year, seriously, reaction, reaction, reaction. COVID was nothing but reaction. Y'all, every time we tried to make a plan, we just had to throw it away. Finally, the only thing we could do as a church body was to create sort of structures and say, we're going to live inside of this. We have goals. And we had two primary goals. Goal number one was that we would prioritize worship in person. We would do whatever it took to make sure that we could worship in person. So we did that. We worshiped outside, inside, and online. But we, we created plenty of space. However you felt comfortable, if you wanted to sit in your car, if you wanted to show up and worship in person in the parking lot, if you wanted to come sit in here, we created every opportunity we could. The second thing that we said we were going to do is we were going to prioritize life groups. And y'all, we, 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 there was a whole lot of planning and working and crafting to try and create space where life groups could meet and they could spread out and folks could be comfortable and okay. And then y'all did something awesome. We said we believe that children and student ministry is important. And so on Wednesday nights, we canceled everything except kids and teenagers. And we gave them the whole facility so they could spread out. Do you know there was never one person with gray hair that complained to me because we prioritized our teenagers and our children? Not one. Our teenagers met in this room for 8, 12 months on Wednesday nights. Adults just had to take a back seat and all the grown-ups looked around and said, that makes perfect sense to us. But y'all, that was all reactionary. And it was all changing over and over and over again. Well, then we come back and things are wild. We don't know what to expect. And then we see what we got right now. Everything's ahead of us. The time's come that we've got to stop being reactionary and look forward. And that's exactly what happens. Peter goes, this is nuts. But then you get to Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You know, a lot of churches speak of being an Acts 1, 8 church. Y'all turn back with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Y'all remember that one? Just in case, we're going to read it. I'm going to read it to you. Chapter 1, verse 8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A lot of churches adopt an Acts 1-8 strategy, that we want to do all that we can to be Christ's witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit in our own Jerusalem and our own Judea and our own Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, there's nothing wrong with being an Acts 1-8 church. But here at Malvern Hill, we've got to be an Acts 11-18 church. Watch what an Acts eleven eighteen 18 church does. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God. Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. In an Acts 11, 11 18 church says, praise the Lord, this is going to be really awkward. You understand? That's what happened. They said, well, great news. 
The word of the Lord has come to the Gentiles. Y'all, when we get to the other books of the New Testament, we're going to see that this merging of Jew and Gentile believers is challenging. It's hard. You get into Galatians and even Peter backtracks and Paul has to go and say, man, what are you doing? These people are followers of Jesus. An Acts eleven eighteen church says, praise the Lord, this is going to be awkward. An Acts eleven eighteen church says, praise the Lord, this is going to be expensive. Look, one of the things that our refocus team is leading towards and our finance team is considering is how we can create immediate overflow space in our gym, but to make it in a way that's actually you know, enjoyable, something that you guys would want to be a part of. I'm going to tell you something. That is going to cost us money, right? Just painting that gym so that it doesn't look like it was built in 1982 is going to cost us money. All the things that need to be done back there are going to cost us money. But we got to start acting and thinking like we're a church of 600. Guess what? If 600 show up here today, we got to turn 150 on the way at the door because there is no room. There's no room. And we can't wait for a building to get built. I don't know if y'all have noticed, those things take a minute. So we got to do something yesterday so that we have room tomorrow. You understand? And Acts 11, 18 church says this is going to be awkward. This is going to be expensive because God's done something. Acts eleven eighteen 18, church says, praise the Lord, it's going to be hard. Folks, God made us to do hard things. The ministry to the Gentiles wasn't natural for these Jews. They didn't have friendships there. They didn't have natural alleyways. Ministry to them was going to be hard. It's amazing because God already had a plan, didn't he? He had a guy named Paul. It's pretty awesome. When Paul shows up and says, hey, I wouldn't mind going to the Gentiles. You imagine the church is like, yes, yes, God sent us our guy. Folks, listen to me. I don't think God's given us a Paul in here, but God sent some of you here to fill some spots in our church so that we can take the next step. I sat at lunch with somebody just this week. I said, man, I, I think the Lord might have brought you here because there's something that you have that's going to help us to take our next step. Some of you have got something that's going to help us take that next step. It might be a checkbook. It might be the ability to lead or to minister or to serve. Some of you have been gifted and called by the Lord to be on your knees praying for your church. Day in and day out. And you need to be doing that. And Acts eleven eighteen 18, church says, Praise the Lord, this is going to be fun, rewarding, and glorifying to God. Do you know what I tell people right now when they ask me how my ministry is? By the way, the third point isn't quite as long, so if you're freaking out, we're okay. We're not there yet. But do you know what I tell people when they ask me, Craig, how is your ministry? I tell them I'm having more fun than I've ever had in my life. And it's the truth. I'm having more fun than I've ever had in my life. I'm working harder than I've ever worked. Y'all, the, the, the spiritual needs are greater. I find myself needing, this is odd, I'm, I'm older than I've ever been. So are you. Um, <laughs> 15 years into my ministry here, all of those years of education, as somebody said, I'm educated beyond my usefulness. And yet, I find myself needing more of God's Word. It's hard. Like, I find sermon prep at times being more challenging today than it was years ago. I can't fully explain that, but I just know that it is. It's hard work, but it's so fun and rewarding. And Acts eleven eighteen church says, God's doing something different here. And folks around us are going to look and raise their eyebrows and go, what is going on? But those of us in the middle of it are going to go, this is hard, but it is rewarding. And it is so glorifying to the Lord. Watch this in Acts 11, 18. Church says, praise the Lord. We're going to see more and more people rescued from darkness and delivered into Christ's light. Look, Acts 
Acts eleven eighteen. Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is what they were glorifying him for. Look, God's going to save more people. Listen to me. Y'all create 200, 300 more seats. We create space. We create structures that welcome them. And you know what we've got the opportunity to do? See more people come to Jesus. We got the opportunity to see more people saved. Listen, some people, somebody, somebody right now is afraid and concerned and nervous. And some of you are thinking right now, what's he trying to do? What's he trying to build here? Listen to me. I'm not trying to build anything. My desire right now is that when God is working, we jump on board and we watch him take us into places that we haven't perceived of before. My desire right now is that we wouldn't be so concerned about keeping one or two folks here satisfied that we would miss the 200 out in front of us that need Jesus Christ. And I promise you it's going to be hard. I promise you that in coming weeks and months and years we're going to ask you for more than we've asked you of before. Like, let me just be honest with you. Let's just talk money just for fun because that makes everybody awkward. You know, our building fund is ahead of schedule. Y'all, we've paid it off. We're in such great shape. We're under $400,000 that we owe on the loan for this building. That's wonderful. And yet we're going to come to y'all at some point and we're going to ask for multiples of that amount of money. Like things are expensive to build. It's going to cost us two and a half. Maybe $3 million to do what needs to be done. Y'all, I'm throwing out numbers. Nothing has come to me, so don't y'all take me to the bank on that. Some of y'all are sitting there going, oh my goodness, can we? There's some of you that heard that and went, all right, how do we get there? I'm going to need some of you to be that kind of person that says, jump on board, let's go. Why? Because 60% of the people that live in five miles of this church are unchurched and need Jesus Christ. Because across the road, at some point in the next weeks, months, or years, they're going to begin a development to build 319 homes across the street. And those are going to be people that need a church home. Because I guess we got 100 kids back there in the back right now. I don't even know. Who counted? Trey, where? I don't know who counted. I don't know how many of them. There's a million. <laughs> Let me tell y'all something. Some of y'all need to start volunteering in children's ministry and you'll write bigger tithe checks. It's a nightmare over there, okay? They're crammed in little spaces and corners and nooks. They keep coming back. Which brings us to our third point. So, we've got to celebrate God's work, refine the mission, and then watch. If we're going to be in Acts eleven eighteen church, we've got to proclaim the message. A refined and expanded mission is built upon the same message. It's built upon the same message. I get it, y'all. And, and sometimes with my exuberance and my big personality, I, it hides some of the challenges I face as we move into the next phase of ministry. Now, what would be really fun is if I brought four or five people up here on stage and handed them the microphone so they could tell you about the conversations I've had this week. Right? They're conversations that most of y'all would roll your eyes about. 
But conversations that our staff realize, and I know, but I don't have to like, conversations about things like fencing my time because I've got to be able to spend more time in things that, that affect more people and being less available, right? I don't like that. I don't. It makes me somewhat uncomfortable that if you call me and say, hey, you want to grab lunch in 20 minutes that I need to say, no, I have other responsibilities right now. I don't like that. I don't like needing to say, no, I can't grab coffee with you this morning because my staff will yell at me because I haven't done the other things that they wanted me to do or expected me to do or told me I needed to do or were coaching me along the way to help me understand that I've got to shift. So I, I want y'all to know that the growing pains that we will all experience are growing pains that we will all experience, me included. That, that's what I want to make sure that I communicate very clearly. That change brings challenge. Blessings bring change and challenge. And folks, it happens in that office right back there as well, I promise you. Which means that but, but, but what, it, what it means is that we can't back up. Because if we go backwards just because it makes me or you more comfortable, we've not been faithful to fulfill the great commission that Christ gave us. We've got to keep proclaiming the message. See, nothing we do here matters more than preaching and teaching the Word of God. Absolutely nothing. The Word of God drives us. It directs us. It is the Word of God that brings about salvation for all who call upon the name of the Lord. You understand? We know that without the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. The preaching of the Word permeates everything that we do. That's what Peter did, right? I began to preach and the Holy Spirit fell. What else did he do? Folks, when we run back to the book of Acts and we work through it over the next several weeks and months, you know what you're going to find out over and over and over again? They preached the Word. They preached the Word. Then when things got a little bit awkward, they preached it again. And then when it was hard, they kept on preaching. And then you get Paul. When we get to Paul, y'all, Paul lives his whole life on mission, looking for excuses and opportunities to preach the word. He ends up in Rome at the end of, 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 of Acts 28. Now, you'll remember that he, or if you don't already know, I'm going to spoil, this is a spoiler alert for you, okay? On his way to Rome, first of all, he's in prison. He's on his way there. He gets shipwrecked. His life is threatened. He gets bitten by a snake. You would think that after being shipwrecked and bit by a viper, that's all it takes for them to go, you know what, we'll just let you out of these chains. You've suffered enough, but he doesn't. He's chained back up and he's taken to Rome where he has to live on his own support as a prisoner. He's a prisoner and still has to provide for his own means, his own needs. And he gets there and you know what he keeps doing? Preaching. Preaching. I would be sulking. You understand? Woe is me. But Paul gets there and he sends out a call. Hey, y'all let some of the Jews know that I'm here because I got a message they're going to want to hear about. And he just looks for excuse after excuse. As a matter of fact, he's only in Rome in Acts 28 because he stood before the leaders. And they were like, you know what? There's really no good reason for you to be arrested. And Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. 
And they go, why would he appeal to Caesar? We could let him go. Well, the reason he appealed to Caesar is because Paul wanted to preach the gospel in Rome. Some of y'all get it messed up. You think the greatest way for us to impact government officials is for us to put somebody into office. Paul said, if I'm going to take the gospel to Caesar, I'm going to do so in chains. We may have to suffer. They just kept on preaching. And as we move forward, as we grow and as we change, the message we preach will remain the same. We will reach more people and we will do more things, but we will do so with an unwavering commitment to the word of God. This is not the sermon that I plan to preach. And yet it is the sermon that God's been preaching to me for the last 21 days or so. And it turns out that it wasn't the sermon I planned, but that God had brought us to this passage of Scripture so that I could share this with you. So how can you take the next step? See, this is what it's all about. Next steps, isn't it? It's all about next steps. Paul took the next step by going to Cornelius' house. And then when he got there, he took the next step by preaching the gospel. And then after that was over with, they were like, hey, you want to stay and have a sleepover? And Paul was like, well, I'm already here. I guess I might as well. He took the next step. And then the message got back to Jerusalem before he got there. And they said, have you been eating with Gentiles? And Paul could have said, well, it's just this kind of one-time thing, but, you know, it's no big deal. And instead, he took the next step, didn't he? He stood up in front of the leaders. He stood up in front of the church. He said, let me tell you what God's done. So he took the next step by proclaiming to them. And then the church took the next step by listening. And then the next step by praising the Lord. And then we're going to see that the, what? the church takes the next steps, don't they? Because as we turn on over, we see them going to the church in Antioch. We see them sending off Barnabas and Saul. We see the church taking the next step and the next step and the next step and the next step. Folks, the future can be scary. I get it. For some of you, you hear 600 and you go, yes, what you've been waiting on. Some of you hear 600 and go, whoa, 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 what in the world? Listen, here's my question. What's your next step? What's your next step? I'm telling you what the next step is for the church. See, the church is made up of y'all. Y'all are the church. I'm not. The church is the body of Christ right here at Malvern Hill. That's y'all. I get to be a part of it, but I'm not it. So what's your next step? Do you need to take a step of salvation? Some of you do. I mean, we just need to be real about this. Some of you have been faking long enough. You've been hiding. Some of you just been running. Got to pray with a lady last week. Guess what? You come to Jesus today, you're not out of line. You're not different. You know what you are? You're just the, the next step of God's glory and grace right here. You don't need to feel awkward or weird. You just need to celebrate that God has revealed himself to you. That he's called you. That he desires to save you. For some of you, your next step is just to step out and come to Jesus. And in just a few minutes... When we have our invitation, I want to invite you to step out and come to Jesus today. You don't have to live in your sin any longer. You can be forgiven and healed. Some of you, your next step is you just need to pray more diligently. I mean, truthfully. You need to be praying for the Lord to work in your life and in the life of your church. You need to be praying for opportunities.
Some of you, your next step may be to make a contribution or to begin tithing to your church. There's some of you probably that have been here for a very long time that just haven't tithed. You've not appreciated the importance of giving 10% of your income to God's church. Y'all, there's a mission for us to contribute to. There are hundreds of people within walking distance of this building that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you need to become more evangelistic. Or maybe you need to share the gospel with someone for the very first time. See, there are corporate steps that we've got to take. But your individual step is going to be unique to you. Maybe you wandered into this place for the first time in a long time. And today needs to be the day of your salvation. Today needs to be the day that you fall on your face before the Lord and recommit yourself to Him. Today, perhaps, you've heard this message and you thought about that loved one at home. And the first step in sharing the gospel then might be that you just take and you just text this sermon to them when you get home this afternoon. Do you know that it can be that easy? Let me send this message to you. And can we talk about it after you listen to it? Let me share this with you. I'm going to call you on Wednesday. And I want to hear what you had to say about it. How can you take your next step? Because folks, when it's all said and done, as a church, we'll only take our next step if all of our folks are taking their next steps. So what is it? I know you got 400 excuses for why you can't take it. I get it. I've been there. I worked out Friday afternoon. And, uh, y'all, I mean, like, it was bad. And I had 400 reasons for why I didn't want to do that. But I knew I needed to. We've all got those things. we got all the reasons for why we don't need to. We don't want to. Some of you had a hundred reasons for why you didn't want to be here this morning, but there was one that got you here. Okay? And, and some of them are legitimate reasons, right? You got a reason for why you haven't taken that next step. You got a reason for why you haven't started tithing. You got a reason for why you haven't given your life to Jesus. You got a reason for why it is that you haven't shared the gospel with your neighbor. Or with your uncle. Or with your cousin. You've got a reason. Folks, we all have lots of reasons why we're not spending time in prayer. Right? It's not about having reasons. It's about taking the next step regardless of the reasons. Because there is a greater reason. God has granted repentance also to the Gentiles. And they live right here in our community. We have to reach them. And God's granted repentance to you today. And today can be the day of your salvation. Would you move past your excuses and give it to Jesus today? Stand with me as we pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd move among us. Work. 
give us faith and trust. Help us to take our next step. In Jesus' name, amen.